I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. I felt them positively swarming in me, these opposite elements. They drove me to convulsions and sickened me. I did not know how to become anything, neither spiteful nor kind, neither a hero nor an insect. Now I am living out my life in my corner, taunting myself with the spiteful and useless consolation. Even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. It is only the fool who becomes anything. The whole principle falls into dust. Tom and Steve listen to the spirit of the age. All they hear is notes from Blunderground. Thank you for joining us on the Blunderground Railroad podcast. My name is Tom, and my wingman, Stephen Hot. How you doing? Hey, we are here, and we're here to answer a question, key question, which is notes from Blunderground. Tom and Steve have their ears to the culture, and all that they can hear are notes from Blunderground. Where does this all come from? Well, it's a great question, and the answer is it comes from the novella Notes from Underground by Dostoevsky. Uh, by the Russian author, the the great author. And so we thought we would take a few moments uh, before we dive into the book uh, to just kind of give you an introduction. So the best thing that you can do if you want to join us on this journey is to grab yourself a copy of the book and go through it chapter by chapter. And lucky you, you get to do it with Tom and Steve because we sit down and we're going to be discussing the ins and outs of each chapter so that we can get a sense of what we're hearing from the culture, all right, from Blunderground, uh, because we can hear these issues and we can hear these disputes uh, every day, and so we have our ear to the ground, and we'll find out what's going on. Ins, outs, ups, downs. Understands, don't understands. There you go. So uh, this book is uh, not necessarily an easy read. Uh, I wouldn't say it's too difficult, uh, but out of all of Dostoevsky's books, uh, it's pretty dense. There's a lot of archetypes in this book. Uh, So, Steve, uh, here, uh, why don't you give give us a little introduction here. What was your uh, background to Dostoevsky before jumping into this thing? It was uh, pretty deep. Nothing. (laughs) <laughs> I'd never heard of the man. <laughs> right. So you you brought this book to me, and uh, frankly, I didn't know how to pronounce his last name until you said it. I'm like, all right, I'll try to remember that. Yeah, it's pretty tough. you got to break it down into syllables, and it makes more sense. But, yeah. Yeah. One way to really understand the book uh, a bit better is to understand its author. And so if you're ever going to read Dostoevsky, it's good to get a sense of his background, where he came from. Yeah. So... Uh, Dostoevsky was born in 1929. Uh, excuse me, not 1929. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Gave him 100 years there. I did. Yeah, in 1829. <laughs> excuse yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> and I uh, was born in Moscow, I believe. His, um, his father and his mother, okay, so his father was a doctor, and he worked amongst the poor. Uh, so he was one of these uh, 
you know, a volunteer service. He would volunteer and work with the poor. Uh, and so he would uh, exclusively do that. Now, from an early age, his mother, Dos Gessi's mother, would uh, sit him down and would read him the Bible and would read him Russian fairy tales. And so from a very early age, Dostoevsky learned to appreciate the Bible and he learned to appreciate uh, the stories of, uh, of ancient Russia and the fairy tales. Hmm. Uh, and Dostoevsky had a very unique upbringing because his father, not like we would do in the modern age, okay? In the modern age, you might take care of the poor, uh, maybe uh, inside of a hospital or a controlled space. So uh, the poor would come to their family and not only would they get healed, but they would live, okay? They would live, uh, they would provide for them places to sleep, and they would provide for them uh, places to stay. And so uh, not only would Dostoevsky's father heal them, but he, he would live amongst them. Mm. So he grew up amongst the poor. Uh, and so uh, he would oftentimes, uh, he would memorize scripture sometimes. Uh, he would read prayers for the poor. Um, he, would, um, he would read out of Job. So some of his earliest memories would be reading out of Job mm. uh, and reading for the, uh, for the poor. Uh, so uh, this was not uh, an experience that was romantic. All right, I don't want to give the impression that this was, uh, you know, that we're having a lot of frolicking and understanding and, 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 and seeing. Uh, the poor of Russia at this time were really destitute. Mm. Uh, these were people that struggled with serious addiction, uh, uh, they were drunkards, uh, they were violent people, okay? They were mentally ill, and they suffered from uh, mental instability. Uh, they had poor backgrounds. Uh, there was a, a lot of tragedy that Dostoevsky would see. Uh, he would see, um, he would see uh, people being beaten. Uh, he would see people fighting. Uh, the, the violence was very stark. Uh, one of the... Um, one of the stories from his childhood that he wrote about later in life was about um, being eight years old. At the age of eight years old, he uh, found one of his uh, favorite playmates, who was uh, another girl, a girl, eight-year-old girl, and he found her in the bushes. Uh, she had been killed. Uh, oh, yikes. Yeah, so he found the body himself. At eight-year-old Dostoevsky found uh, this eight-year-old body of an eight-year-old girl. She had been killed by a drunk who had gotten blind drunk and then had gone off in a fit of rage and had killed her uh, for apparently no reason uh, and drug her in the bushes. And uh, it was Dostoevsky that found her. Uh, so um, being raised in that environment uh, was very, uh, very traumatic for him. When he got older, his father sent him to private school. And when he went to private school, he had a really hard time assimilating with the upper class kids who were there. Uh, because that wasn't his experience. His experience was uh, with the poor and with the addicted and with the violent. And uh, so he was ostracized at school. Uh, his, um, his mother, uh, he had a lot of brothers and sisters. Uh, and actually, uh, that would, um, throughout his life, he would be supported by his family. Oftentimes, his brothers uh, would have to lend him money uh, and keep him afloat. Uh, but uh, he had many brothers and sisters. Uh, his mother died when he was, uh, when he was 15. Uh, and so she died of tuberculosis. And uh, afterwards, uh, that was a rough two years. <clears throat> so yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, because his father died when he was 17. Uh, his father had kind of uh, gone uh, down a hard road. He had begun to drink. 
uh, and he had become violent. Uh, he was violent with his wife uh, and violent with his kids. And then he was also uh, became violent with his serfs. Uh, and uh, when he died, when Dostoevsky was 17, he died under mysterious circumstances. Uh, so um, he, uh, no one quite knows why his father died, but it's widely speculated that his serfs got together and conspired to poison him. Oh, wow. Yeah, and yeah. Um, the case was never brought to trial, uh, so no one was ever accused nor no tried. No justice whatsoever. No justice. Yeah. Uh, Doskeski was uh, 17 years old when that happened, and when it happened, when his father his father was poisoned by his own serfs, probably. Mm. Uh, when that happened, he suffered the uh, an epileptic seizure, uh, and that was uh, and that was uh, something was his, uh, he suffered his first seizure, and that was something that would haunt him for the rest of his life. Uh, he would suffer from seizures. Uh, he would write about seizures. He would write characters who suffered from seizures, uh, and he would oftentimes write some of his. Uh, he would write some of his experiences <clears throat> into uh, into books. When Dostoevsky was uh, when he was eighteen, he went to a military school to study to be an engineer. Mm. Uh, but he eventually decided he wanted to write, uh, and so he uh, he stopped. And uh, he stopped, and he dropped out of school, and he started to write. And uh, he wrote uh, he wrote a book called Poor Folk. You can still get it, mm. and uh, and it's a book. Uh, it's a pretty good book, uh, Poor Folk. And um, it's about the uh, it's about his experiences with the poor. It's about what it's like to be poor. Uh, it's about um, the the struggles and the the violence that you find in the Russian poor of that time period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was uh, kind of a hit, uh, kind of a success. And so people started to kind of see, uh, you know, people kind of just started to see him as a writer, an up and coming writer. Yeah. When uh, so anyhow, uh, young Dostoevsky, uh, he ended up getting involved with a, a group of guys. <clears throat> you know, malcontents, right? You ever do that? No. No. No, not at all. No, not at all. No. No, I guess because you're 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 so much of a malcontent, you don't recognize them anymore. No. No. No idea. No. No. No idea. No, nothing <laughs> like that, huh? No. 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 Just keep well, just just me and myself. You know, that's it. All right. <laughs> Man, unbelievable. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Just can't can't accuse me of that. I guess. Yeah. Big blue ribbon on your chest, huh? No, nothing. No. Pretty much. No, man, right? <laughs> no. You, man, it's got that halo, man, right? You got the I, halo over you? Tell, tell me about it. I don't know. All right, man. No, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's it, man, right? Um, yeah, he got together with a group of uh, group of dissidents. These are Russian dissidents. Uh, and so uh, these were not uh, revolutionaries necessarily. Mostly they like to get together. They like to read banned books. All right, so that was a lot of what they liked. They... Uh, and so uh, they like you to. Said they like to read banned books. Banned books, yeah. They said these were dissidents. They were dissidents. They wanted to read the books that were banned. Oh, okay. I'm I'm thinking banned like. Oh, trumpets you mean, and oh wait, stuff. you mean like oh oh wait, you mean like you mean like a marching band? Yeah. Oh yeah yeah or like banned on the run. Yeah. Like, oh yeah yeah. I thought, I thought you meant like yeah like a marching band. Oh, like, like a marching like, band. Like they no. were gonna get together and study music. Oh yeah, or like a wristband. And I'm like, yes, right. Wow, they are some rebels. That's it, man. Right? Yeah, or like a wristband. Oh. Yeah, you got to get that figured out before you start reading Dostoevsky. I, I don't know. I like mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it that far if you're, you, 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 you can't get past the homophone. Because it's a homophone, right? Banned and banned. You're the English teacher. Well, I know, but one is banned, B-A-N-N-E-D, nah, and then you, the other is banned. You can't hit me with questions like that. <laughs> not not I, just I, talking I, yeah. yeah, My college was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Brain dump. <laughs> Brain dump, baby. Thank so, 
They, yeah. But they would get together and they would read these books because, you know, the censors, right, in, in, in Russia. So they would mm-hmm. read these banned books. Rebels. Rebels, yeah. man. Getting together and reading up those books. So, <laughs> no, think about this, right? Yeah. This is this is what they're – they would talk about these weird kind – because he was young, right? And so he kind of had that, that time period in his life. This group, they would read banned books, but they also talked about other weird things like the, like abolishing marriage and, you know, establishing like a like, like a socialist revolution and things like this. Um, but this, uh, anyhow, Dostoevsky is not going to stick with this, but, yeah. you know, they, they're talking about all these things. So anyhow, uh, to make a long story short, so uh, they get arrested. Hmm. And uh, so the whole the whole group of them gets arrested and they get tried and they get uh they get sent off they get sent off to Siberia. Uh so this is uh this is pretty uh this is a pretty big thing here in in, in Dostoevsky's life because what happened was he was sentenced to death. All right. What? No, he was. He was sentenced for reading books. For reading books? See why I stay away from these things? But see this is why would you stay away from books? <laughs> see the trouble it can cause you. See, this is where in the modern world we don't really understand, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you can. Can you get? You know, can you go to go, go to a firing squad for reading banned books or having a different idea? Sure, you can. Sure, can. Absolutely, can. Uh, so uh, these guys were they were tried and they were uh, to be put to death, and so. Uh, what would happen? They were brought there, and they were put into these groups, and they were going to uh, they were going in front of the firing squad. And this is a true story. So Dostoevsky got to do what a lot of us would would never get the chance to do, wouldn't even think about. Right? He had the opportunity to sit there and think about his life. Uh, for like 10 minutes while he's waiting to die, you know, and that's all he's doing. And, and he talks about this and I, I think it's in the idiot. It's another book uh, that uh, he wrote. Hmm. And uh, there's a scene in there where he writes this out, you know, where he writes, just like he writes out the seizures mm-hmm. and he writes out his own experiences. And even in this book and notes from underground, we can see, you know, so the author kind of comes through in a lot of ways. He had this opportunity uh, and he writes about it in the idiot uh, and uh, where he's waiting and, He's thinking about his life. And uh, so this was a moment for him where he really started to come back to come back to God. All right. So this moment, he might, I think he saw a church in the background, saw the steeple. What he said was he said at that moment that in just a few minutes time, right, he looking up at the sun, he would be at the source of light. You know, the source of light, the source of all light, the source of knowledge that, that he was going to be there. That's where he was going. Now, the Russians at this time <clears throat> had a pretty a common tactic. Mm-hmm. And uh, being an ex-military guy yourself, I'm sure that you guys probably did stuff like this all the time. But uh, they would have a <clears throat> they would have a white flag uh, little ceremony. So sometimes people would get people would get shot, right? But a lot of these people they needed them for con- for conscripts, so they needed them to go to the military. Mm-hmm. So what they would do is uh, is every once in a while they would send in somebody with a white flag, you know, and then somebody would come in with the white flag, stop, 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 you know, and uh, they would have a letter from the czar, and the letter would pardon these people. Uh, so Dostoevsky is waiting to die. He gets pulled in front of the firing squad, and he's about to get shot, right? And just before he gets shot, here comes the white flag, you know, stop, 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 stop. And the, the, the guy has a letter from the czar. And the letter says, 
Ah, the czar. Because the czar, you know, is very forgiving, right? So the czar says, uh, he gets the letter that these people can live, and he sentences them. They get sentenced to, I think it's six years in Siberia, followed by four years of military service. So there you go. That's a long time. So Sounds cold. Pretty cold, yeah. Pretty cold. <laughs> pretty cold. And the thing that was coldest about it was that up there in Siberia, there was to be, uh, I believe there's no reading or no writing. And so Dostoevsky, uh, that was really difficult for him. Actually, it's really cool. When he was on the train, uh, a group of women would, uh, a group of women, these were Christians and believers, they would go up to the trains and they would offer the prisoners New Testaments. Hmm. And so what they would do is they would put uh, they would put ten rubles they would put a ten ruble a ten ruble bill in the front of the New Testament and then they would hand them off and so some people would take them for the money right oh look the money and they just grab it you know yeah, yeah. and then other people uh, other people would just take the uh, take it for the New Testaments so anyhow um, you know Dostoevsky had had this experience he had had this religious experience when he was waiting to die uh, and then these women had offered him a New Testament well he took the New Testament and he was able to convince. He was able to convince um, the guards to let him keep and read the New Testament. So as far as we know, Dostoevsky at this time had all this time up in Siberia, and the New Testament was the only source, the only thing he had to read. Wow. That was it. That was the only thing he had to read. He was not allowed to write. He wow. could He could not write, and the only thing that he was allowed to read, the only thing, was the New Testament. He probably had that memorized front to back. I would think so. I mean, I would think so. Six years. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually considered to be a dangerous prisoner. I'm not sure why. So his probably because he had the word of God in his hand. Probably. And the uh, his feet and his hands were shackled for majority of the time that he was there. Ugh. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Right. Yikes. And then yikes. after that, you got to serve in the military. Right, pretty much. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> that wasn't punishment enough. No, I know it's true. He actually got thrown out of the military because because uh, of his uh, his health. He, he when he got out, uh, he finally got out, and he was so sickly you know, that he would get so sick all the time because he had his epilepsy. Right, he would have yeah. these epileptic seizures. Yeah, and so he was he was considered to be so sick and weak that they they kind of threw him out of the military. Mm. Uh, yeah, so. well. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Pretty much, yeah. There you go. No different. Yep. So he did suffer throughout his life. I mean, he would. Um, he married a couple times. Uh, he he had um, he had a, some of his brothers died, and then back then he would have to care for their family. So he would have to. He would have to, like after he got out of the military, he started tutoring, and he would he would tutor uh, uh, like rich aristocratic kids, and he ended up getting married. But. Uh, um, he ended up, uh, he did struggle. Uh, he struggled with poverty. Uh, so he went broke a bunch of times in his life. And he also struggled with gambling. Uh, he had a, uh, by all accounts, he had a, a wicked gambling addiction. Oh, wow. Yep, yep. And so he, uh, 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 really bad, really bad. Uh, so uh, he went broke many, many times uh, and, um, and really struggled for gambling. Uh, it was a real serious addiction. So I don't know much about his history. Did he, when did he make it big? As an author, well, in a lot of ways, I mean, kind of, it kind of, it kind of didn't. He had a there was a magazine that he ran, and that's where Notes from Underground was published. Uh, he ended up, uh, he ended up traveling in Western Europe. Uh, I think Notes Notes from Underground was published in 1864. Uh, so in 1862, he went to Western Europe and he traveled all around Western Europe. Uh, I think his wife 
might have been with him. He and his first wife didn't really get along. So his first wife, basically, they loved one another, uh, but uh, they loved one another, but they... Um, she didn't really. He went broke a lot, and she didn't. She didn't want to marry him originally because he didn't have enough money. And then he got even more broke after they got married. So they ended up living in different places. Things and, really do stay the same. Yeah, the more. Th- <laughs> <laughs> so they ended up. So they ended up living in different places. Yeah, basically had a normal life except for the six years in Siberia. Well, right there you go. <laughs> so the the um. So he ends up coming back, and uh, he starts this magazine, and, yeah. uh, and that's where Notes from Underground was published. Uh, so he publishes that in 1864. Um, so as far as, like, being famous, you mean? Well, like, getting, you know, out of bankruptcy and, like, you know, middle class maybe at least. Yeah, no. Did he never make it there? No, he was bailed out a number of different times by his brothers, by different family members. Oh. Um, you know, uh, it was, uh, you know, people would help him to stay afloat from time to time. Um, you know, and that's when he wasn't, you know, gambling them away, you know, if he, uh, uh, it was always writing and, and, mm. and, and always gambling away his royalties. I mean, this is a very, uh, this, this is a flawed guy. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. so this is a, this is a guy who, this is a guy who struggled. Well, he's sure. been through a lot. Who could blame him? Who could blame him? I've been through quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Rough life. Yeah. It, very rough. Yeah. He was really quite traumatized to be honest, like after coming back from Siberia and that is where we can see a lot. That's really where we get into this book, okay, Notes from Underground. Because Dostoevsky left Russia at a certain point in time. And then Russia began to change while he was gone. So when he was gone in Siberia, uh, while he was away, you saw basically the, the formation of what a lot of people call, they call it Russian nihilism, right? And because, you know, nihilism is... Nihilism is 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 a, is a universal topic, but the Russians have always kind of taken their own slant on it, and they they always have like they 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 want to take ownership of it in kind of some ways. They have their own particular slant. So, basically, when Dostoevsky came back, he he came back with ideas with biblical ideas, and he came back with conservative ideas, uh, and so he really he really wanted to write in that manner. Except that he found that the prevailing ideologies in Russia at that time were materialism, humanism, and utilitarianism. All right, so and that's very important. And so that's where you can begin to draw some parallels. So with, he found a, a socialist society, essentially, or one trying to be that. Yeah, I mean, I really think that you, when you get into the book and and you read about the um, the the piano key, you know, man cannot be put down to just being a simple piano key. Yeah, uh, yeah, like this whole this was very very popular in Russia at this time. Yeah. Uh, this whole idea of you know humanism and utilitarianism that okay, um, you know, humanism, uh, you know, the belief that human beings, if they knew the right thing to do and they did the right things then they could fix their problems, right? Yep. They could grow materialism, right? We don't want religion, okay? The religion had been really put down, okay? When Dostoevsky went away, when he went to Siberia, the the Orthodox Church was, 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 was you know, not under attack. When he came back, it was very unpopular, very, it was under attack. And so 
religion was was stomped on and people and God was stomped on. And so like the whole Russians were giving up on God in droves when he came back. And so he would look and say that everyone was jumping in on this materialism. You know, everyone wanted to move to the big city. Everybody wanted to move into big cities like Petersburg, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is, yep. And everybody started talking about, um, you know, a utopia, you know, utilitarianism. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, and all this. So really, that's really what you what you need to know is materialism, humanism, and utilitarianism. All three combined together create like this Russian nihilism. Yeah, which is what he came back to, which is just a stark contrast from what he left. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and so this is where, you know, he, he thought that this whole idea required a response, right? They, he wanted that there needed to be a response to this. And the response that Dostoevsky wanted to give was to take this idea and just to take it all the way to its logical conclusion. Yeah, like, let me show you where this is going. Right, yeah. yeah. And not like we would do it today. And today, you probably would end up with some sort of dystopian movie about a culture or society or about a world. Right. Uh, and for Dostoevsky, this is not to be done. This is one of the reasons why he's so special, is because rather than looking outside and looking at this larger world, he's looking inside. Yep. Right? Absolutely. To the person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. So he's looking to the inside of the person. It's a very different writing style. Oof, man. Very, very unique. Yeah, yeah. And so he's really looking in, in internal and to see what kind of person could, could would, would this produce. Like, because he... Everyone would say, "Oh, this is the the this is the how we're going to overcome. This is how we're over going to overcome sin. This is how we're over going to overcome poverty. This is how we're going to overcome ourselves." And so this was very popular. And so this was written as a response, as to say, "Hey, you're going to take this all the way through. Yeah. This is what you're going to produce." Yep. And I find a lot here, a lot of comparisons between our modern world and the world that Dostoevsky came back to. Oh yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, in terms of, I mean, materialism, right? Let's start off with materialism. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. That, and then, you know, we continue as a society to try to legislate evil out, you know, try to, try to create that utopia. Yeah, right. No, that's very true. It's it's really true. I was reading, um, I was reading the other day, and uh, uh, here, I, I can't quite quote the, the individual behind it. It was industrialization, mm-hmm. okay, plus money, plus time. Right, like the, these things, these things are all related to cultural decline. So, if you have industrialization on a mass scale, and yep. then you multiply that with money, right, with affluence, money and power that you would have there, and then you're just going to extrapolate that with time. There's your cultural decline, right? You're going to have a decline in. It's all going to lead to decline. It's going to lead to decline in fertility, a decline in economic output. It's going to uh, lead to disengagement with the church. It's going to lead to a decline in morality, and you're going to see cult. You're going to see cultures begin to decay. Are you describing the United States post World War II? Because <laughs> <Right, laughs> no. that's what it sounds like. Yeah, right. <laughs> and in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, we're going to see a lot of different themes in this book. Uh, and so, uh, three themes that really strike my mind, uh, and that that just jump off the page to me. All right, is you know, and the first one, I know you and I have mentioned this before, out you know, outside the podcast, urban versus rural, right? I mean, so you have kind of an urban world and then a, a kind of a, a rural world. Yep. Yeah, yeah, where these are really two different worlds, and so what we have in today's society 
is we don't necessarily have urbanization everywhere, but all of our institutions are are, are effectively urbanized. Yeah. No, that's because the the urban affects the rural. Yeah, I mean a lot with the institutions. I mean your your bank down at the end of the street has its main office in New York. Yeah. Right. You know yeah. your um you know all your their TV stations. If you watch a TV and you see something on TV, that's being produced in L.A. and the studio would be in another big city. So it's all those institutions. Media is located in the cities. Yeah, everything is in everything is influenced by the urban. I mean, you see that in the stereotypes in the movies, you know? Yeah. Like, like if we were to make, or if you were to see, like, a a, a Western or something, mm. or um, today, a movie about Texas, you know, you would have no idea the diversity that's in Texas, really, because they're going to portray it like a bunch of redneck hillbillies, because right. that's what everybody thinks Texas is. Right. It is stuffed inside of a big city and only sees the inside of a subway car, you know? Yeah, that's right. You know? And so they portray it in a certain way. Yeah, I think everybody's got a six-shooter and a pickup truck. Right, there you go, that right. Is not Texas. <laughs> not Texas. And yeah. see, but this is another a theme that we pull out of the book, yep. which is... The idea of a thing mm-hmm. versus the knowledge of a thing. Got it right. The knowledge of a thing. That's right. Uh, and that's right. And and so and it kind of it kind of goes into this whole idea of abstract thinking. And that's uh, another theme that we're going to be looking at and pulling out of these chapters. And and that is, I define it here is authentic community versus abstract thinking. Yep. Right. And so. You know, not to say that one is better than the other or that anything is intrinsically good or bad, but Dostoevsky is going to, we're going to be dealing with characters that are no longer living in any real sense of, of, of any sort of real community, right? I mean, they're, they're not, these are not people that, that, are, that are engaging in any sort of real way, right? right. So their, their, their whole existence is going to be defined by this, but by this abstraction, right, yeah. of what they read, what they experience, uh, of what they think. Mm-hmm. And so, I, again, I, I look at today's world, all right? I mean, in, you know, I hear notes from below the ground all the time, all right? and they try to keep me up at night. So, you you know, it's this sounds at the, at these abstractions, and you mentioned it before, uh, post-World War II. Before World War II, we have this strong sense of ruralism, authentic community, right? Mm-hmm. So... If you are, if you are, you know, you have to go to the, you have to go to the high school dance, right? Or, or to the elementary school dance, right? So it's the sixth grade or the seventh grade. You're very awkward. You got to go to that dance, right? You got to meet your friends. You know everybody by their first name. You got to get out and put your hands on somebody's hips or shoulders. I mean, yeah. it's very, right. And those are not comfortable experiences. But once you go through those experiences, you have something real. Right. You know, and, and even if it's a negative, it's something that you have forever and it's going to begin to build your person and it's going to right. form you. Well, prior to, and I mean, I, I really should go before World War II because we're talking the Great Depression, right? That w- sure. that's, that's really the divide right there between rural America and what became urban America because you took people that were, dirt floor poor but didn't know it Mm. and then oh now all of a sudden they know it and then you had the new deal and when the new deal came along everybody got jobs those jobs are centrally located in one area and that's where those cities were built around ah very interesting that's how we got 
the urbanization really that we have now is a lot of those people, a lot of those farmers couldn't afford to do that anymore. Mm. Like they couldn't make a living that way. Works progress administration, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's a, there's, there's being a country song fan. There's a bunch of songs about it, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, you got the TVA and you know, yep. Yeah. yeah go buy a washing machine and a Chevrolet. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll quit quoting Alabama here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. But but yeah, that's where your your urbanization comes out of, and um, yeah, you'll see the you'll definitely see the the two sides of society and how somebody that um, gets pulled into sort of a third realm of society views everybody um, on either side of that. And like you said, extrapolate you know all the way out how things would work um mm. if they if they were to try and go with society's narrative of let's create a utopia yeah so. yeah and i mean the utopia is is a bit of an abstraction in itself it is yeah mm-hmm. it really is and people people they create these concepts and then they build concepts on the concepts That's right and then concepts on the concepts and yep. concepts on the concepts right yep yeah yep. and it really comes down to <clears throat> you know our third theme as uh, of the belief uh, belief versus nihilism right mm-hmm. so nihilism the lack of belief nothing is real you know if you uh you know it's so interesting because and not that i want to get into the weeds here kind of don't but we'll have keep an eye out we'll be reading more and and talking discussing this more Plenty of time. down down the road but uh uh Dostoevsky and nietzsche right so it's so funny because so many people so many people look at Dostoevsky and they say, man, this guy was like a real-life ubermensch. And they look at him as being a powerful individual with his mind and his writing and his art. But the truth is, I, I take the completely opposite view because Dostoevsky was a believer, right? Believed. And he had the fruit of belief as his rock. And so Nietzsche, he had no rock, right? So Nietzsche, I mean, he ends up talking to horses and then he goes crazy. So, right, which uh, coincidentally is exactly what Dostoevsky thought was uh, said would happen to the people that thought just like that. Yep. So even this day, you still have people that get confused about this, but I really think that Dostoevsky really proves his own point in, in terms of Nietzsche, and that's yes. a bigger debate. Stick with us and we'll get there. But, man, yeah, I'll tell you, it comes down to belief and then it comes down to power dynamics, right? I mean, and so when I say power dynamics, that is today. I mean, right, we have declining belief today, and we have this fundamental we have this fundamental belief in power dynamics. And these are opposite concepts. And choosing one over the other has real consequences. And you don't have to go to like you don't have to go to seminary, you don't got to go to Harvard Business School to see it or to figure it out. And if you're a parent and you have children, you're a parent, obviously you're concerned about your children. And so you should be because should be. Yeah, and you should be because <laughs> this is this is real, this is real serious. But then again, we have cars that tell us, you know, check our back seat. But you should be concerned. I think you start with sickness and you start where people you start where people kind of go wrong because people come at things with all sorts of assumptions. And when people no longer have the word, they no longer have the truth mm-hmm. as, a, a, as a function, they, they no longer have it as this assumption, then things will begin to break down. Mm-hmm. You know, And so, for example, uh, 
Uh, I'll use fertility as a great example uh, and as a real-life thing. And that's something we'll talk about on Notes from Blunderground. So up until post-World War II, up until the sexual revolution, it was widely held social script. All right, people widely believed that unless you had a special circumstances, unless you were extremely talented, that you were expected to settle down, form a family, and produce at least replacement levels. So some people would have two kids and then stop, and then other people would have more than two kids. But it was expected that you were going to form a family and that you were going to replace yourself, which meant you and your spouse, so two kids. Yep. Now, this was not, um, this was not uh, controversial. and It was just widely expected. And so and no one ever really thought about it. Un- unless you were, gonna, you were a nuclear engineer, you were going to go work for NASA and then have a, a, an exceptional life or, or what have you. You did something exceptional with your skill. It was just expected that that was what you would do. Mm-hmm. Now you go to the, the modern age, and you no longer have this expectation. And so now we see fertility rates dropping. And so people now, they no longer look at it this way. They say, well, it's my individual choice. It's my body, my choice. And, and they look at themselves as an individual. They want to be married later. They, they want to have their fun. And then they want to get married later on in life. And so now we find that now that this is no longer a widespread, a widespread belief, fertility rates drop significantly. Same thing with uh, belief in God. When belief in God drops and church attendance drops, then for a while, the society will keep going, all right? the more It's kind of like muscle memory, you know, for a while. Everything becomes a social script, and so you still have those same social scripts. But when those social scripts break down, that's when people will start to break down because people don't have, people don't have something sacred to frame their lives around, and they don't have anything to relate to, right? Everything becomes experiential, and it becomes power dynamics. And so I think a lot of people know this in this day and age, but what I think is really helpful is when we need to identify who are these people, what are they suffering from, and what are they saying? And so that really is, is that's what I think is worthy. I think it's something worthy to do. Uh, and, and I think that this book, Notes from Underground, speaks to that, Unlike anything that I've ever read, I mean, I, I just you look at it and I, it, it jumps off the page in terms of what Dostoevsky said about these people. Okay, these people are urbanized people. These are these are nihilist, all right, and these are people who live on kind of an abstract narrative. All right, it's, it's very it's very experiential in that abstract way. It's not right. it's not an authentic community. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our first podcast for the Blunderground Railroad. We are trying to go from ignorance to knowledge, and that starts off with this book. We're going to make our way through it chapter by chapter, and then we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going. So we're going to be reading, we're going to be recording, and we hope that you will be joining us. Join us next time for chapter number one, Notes from Underground. Thank you for joining Tom and Steve on the Blunderground Railroad. Join us next time as we seek to travel from ignorance to knowledge. And check out their other podcasts, Notes from Blunderground and the Digital Blunderground. See you next time.